you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to have Joel sing a song here in just a moment. But I want to read my text and announce the title of the message. And then he's going to sing before I preach today because his song goes so well with what I'm preaching. So I want to give you context to his song by reading the story. Matthew chapter 1, and we'll read verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily or privately. But while he thought on these things, behold... The angel of the Lord appeared unto them in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophets, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife. And he knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. From Joseph's life, his commitment, his obedience. We're going to study the message under this title. When following God gets difficult. On this day, it got really hard for Joseph, but he still obeyed. He still followed. And now Jesus is a part of his plan. And I hope that that you'll make that decision today. Joel's going to come and sing a song from Joseph's point of view uh, when we think about the Christmas story. Joel. How can I raise a king? He looks 
so small, his face and hands so fair. And when he cries, the sun just seems to disappear. But when he laughs, oh, he shines again. How There's a great irony in the Christian life, and it's this, following Jesus ushers you into a life that is simultaneously the most joyful and the most difficult on earth. John 10 verse 10 tells us that Jesus came to give us life and life more abundant. Psalm 16 verse 11 says that in God's presence is the fullness of joy. Psalm 84.10 tells us better is one day in God's presence than 10,000 anywhere else. Yet Matthew 16 tells us that if we're going to follow Jesus, we've got to take up our cross. I don't know what kind of image that gives to you, but in the ancient world, the image of the cross was not a pleasant one. See, today we wear crosses made out of diamonds around our necks as Pieces of jewelry. We tattoo on our lower backs. Crosses right next to our ex-girlfriend's name. But back then, back then, it was a symbol of oppression and torture and death. When people saw a cross, they feared. To give you an idea of how repulsive the symbol of a cross was in the first century, I want you to imagine today... That you went over to someone's house and above their baby's crib, they had a little hangman's noose. Above their kitchen table, they had a picture of an electric chair. Above their sofa, they had a a picture or a painting of a firing squad. You probably wouldn't stay for dinner. You certainly wouldn't let your kids go over there for a play date. Well, just as repulsive as those images would be to you on someone's living room wall is as repulsive as the cross was to first century Jews. 
This is the paradox of following God. It brings abundant joy. It really does. But it also brings very real suffering. See, a lot of churches and pastors and authors today want to paint a picture of following God, but it's an incomplete picture. Most of them want to put abundant life in bold letters, but they want to put suffering and hardship in fine print. Which I believe contributes to the church in America being so weak, so phony, and so consumeristic. But Matthew doesn't do that. He shows us right out of the gate how difficult it is to follow Jesus and how Jesus' first followers found the motivation to do so. By the way, if I asked you to name Jesus' first followers, I'd bet you do what I would do at first. You would say Peter and James and John. But Matthew starts about 30 years earlier than that. He starts with Jesus' parents. And it's through Joseph and Mary that we see two things today. Number one, why following God can be so difficult at times. And then we see where we can draw the strength to follow God when it does get difficult. Now I want to start by explaining the situation that Mary and Joseph found themselves in. So so that you could kind of sympathize with them a little bit on why this was such a difficult decision for them. And a difficult moment in, in, in the chapter of their life. Verse 18 says that Mary was a spouse to Joseph. That meant she was engaged to Joseph. Engagements in the first century are much different than the engagements in the 21st century. Once you were engaged, then you were legally bound. So to call off an engagement would be equivalent to divorce, it, that, that equivalent to divorce today. Well, after the engagement, the only thing left to do was for the woman to go to the man's home to physically consummate the marriage and for them to live together. But according to customs, that wouldn't happen until approximately a year after the engagement began. So when Matthew says that Mary was pregnant before they came together in verse 18, he's saying that Mary was with child before she and Joseph consummated their marriage physically. Now put yourself in this young couple's shoes. Mary, having never had a physical relationship with a man... Finds out she's pregnant. Imagine the thoughts and the emotions, the the confusion, even the worry that would be going through your mind if you were this young lady. Or consider Joseph. As a husband, you've you've yet to bring your, 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 your new wife into your home to consummate the marriage. And you find out she's pregnant. There's only one possible explanation in your mind. She's clearly been with another man. What would you do, sir, if you discovered that the woman you love, the one you've chosen to marry, the one you've been waiting on, was pregnant right before you married her? Joseph had a couple options at this point. He could either go public and shame Mary, even order her to be stoned, put to death. Or he could quietly divorce her so that she could keep her dignity. In compassion, says he was a just man. He had a lot of character, and so he decided to just put her away privately. He didn't want to make a scene. He he didn't want to drag her through the courtyard. He he just just wanted to put her away. She go on her way, and he goes on his way. For all he knows, she has been with another man. Until that night when an angel of the Lord woke him up, began to talk to him, and 
tell him, Joseph, you don't have to be afraid and you don't even have to divorce Mary. Here's why. She hasn't been unfaithful to you. She's pregnant because of the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. And then the angel told Joseph, this baby is to be called Jesus. That means Jehovah saves. He's coming to save the world from their sin. Joseph, this is the son of God. Now, we don't know exactly what Joseph felt at this point, but I imagine he was puzzled. Don't you agree? But what do we read? He obeyed the angel without questioning God, without laying down conditions. He, he didn't even ask for another night's sleep to see if the angel changed his mind. He simply obeyed. Even further, he waited to consummate the marriage until after the baby was born. Another act of obedience is he decided to name the baby what the angel of the Lord told him to name the baby. Jesus. Now, do you ever wonder, why did God do it this way? You ever wonder that? I mean, it ruined both of their relationship, their, their, their reputations. The, the angel didn't show up and explain the situation to everybody else. He didn't send out a news bulletin to the community. Everyone else from that point on thought of Mary as an impure girl. When they looked through the yearbook pictures later, they always pointed to her and said, oh, you remember what happened to her, right? What a shame. I thought she was a good girl. As far as we know, there was never any clarification or vindication for either one of them until the New Testament was written 30 or 40 years later, which that by that point was probably irrelevant to them. Mary didn't get the, the, the storybook wedding she'd always dreamed about with her dad, walking her down the aisle and all her friends and family present. I know for many women, your wedding day is the most highly anticipated, expensive, planned for day in your life. Just because Mary lived 2,000 years ago, don't assume she was vastly different. She had dreams. She wanted a beautiful wedding, maybe. All of that was shattered. They were ruined, not by an angry mother-in-law, by Jesus. Not only that, eventually they would have to flee their homelands because of Jesus. Now you tell me, is this the abundant life that Jesus came to give? Why did God do it this way? I think the Holy Spirit is laying out a pattern for us from Jesus' birth for how people will have to follow him. Two reasons why following God can be so difficult. Number one, following God requires denying or dying to yourself. See, Mary's out of wedlock pregnancy put her under a literal death sentence in Jewish law. Beyond that, Mary and Joseph had to die to their good name, their cherished dreams, their families, their homelands. And it didn't stop with them. That expectation of following Jesus did not stop with Mary and Joseph. Jesus would say later in Mark chapter 8, verse 34, that whoever would come after him would first need to deny himself and take up his cross. This is why I believe many people today refuse to get saved. They, they don't want to go all in with God. They don't want to get right with God because they aren't willing to deny themselves. They aren't willing to take up their cross. They aren't willing to forsake all. They aren't willing to follow the Lord. Many people want God in their life to an extent, but not to the extent that requires any sacrifice or commitment on their end. 
So long as they're able to pray and ask God for help when they need it, so long as they can can come to church occasionally when they need their spirits lifted, they're good. But as far as centering their life on Jesus as Lord, repenting of their sin, dying to themselves daily, they're not interested in all of that. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke 14, 27. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. This isn't my opinion. Jesus doesn't leave any room for people who are only in it for the benefits. He leaves no exception clauses. He's ultra clear. You're all in or you're not in. You do not become a genuine follower of Christ until you're first willing to die to yourself. By the way, that's why I'm not going to be super manipulative. Walk down the aisle and get saved. And if you don't, I'm going to have a terrible day because no one came down the aisle. No, I want people to know that if you come down an aisle and you want to get saved, you better be carrying your cross. It's not just about praying a prayer. It's about saying my life is God's. I have sinned against a holy creator. And he will by no means clear the guilty. And I'm guilty. And I will not just utter a prayer and hope that my life just turns into sunshine. I'm going to pick up my cross. I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to turn my back on my sin. I know I'll continue to sin, but I'm going to think about it a different way. I'm taking God's side. That's what salvation is. That's what following Jesus is. That's why it's difficult. Because you will inevitably come to the point where you've got to choose your way or God's way. There are times when following God means dying to yourself. That's why it's hard. But it's also hard for one more reason. Because it requires embracing inconvenience. You realize how much Jesus' birth complicated Joseph and Mary's life? Do you get this? One of the deacons in our deacons meeting today commented on the fact that he's been thinking about this all week long. It just blows his mind how dedicated Joseph was to following God based on how inconvenient this made his life. It messed up their relationships with their family, their friends. It messed up Joseph's job. Eventually he had to move and start over. Hear me, church. Serving Jesus is not always convenient. Volunteering to serve in church, that's not always convenient. Giving a sacrificial tithe and offering is not always convenient. Forgiving those who hurt you is not always convenient. Fighting the temptation to sin on the daily is not always convenient. Sharing Christ with those around you is not always convenient. Raising your kids to be followers of Christ in today's culture, not just good citizens or good students, but followers of God who too will deny themselves and pick up their cross. That's not always convenient. Preaching what I'm preaching today is not convenient. But kindly, I would say that if the defining characteristic you're looking for in a church is convenience, this is not the church for you. And Christianity is not for you either. At least God's version of Christianity. See, to become the people God wants us to be, we have to be willing to embrace inconvenience as a way of life and for the sake of the mission. We don't get to come to God on our terms. 
We don't get to have these false expectations of God. Okay, I say yes to you, but that means you say yes to me. I scratch your back and you scratch mine. It's not an agreement like that. We come to God in humble desperation, realizing without Him we are eternally separated in a real place called hell. We come broken over our sin. We fall to His feet. And we say, I surrender to any inconvenience that might come on my life as a result of saying yes to you. But I believe that you are more convenient than my sin. You are more beneficial than any other false God I have in my life. So I will die to all of that in order to say yes to you. So I just painted a picture of following God that isn't real glamorous. Let's be honest. It isn't. I could have just dodged all of that, but I wouldn't be minding the text today. Because this clearly shows us how hard it was for Joseph. And so you're probably thinking, well, I don't want any of that. Saying no, picking up my cross, repenting of my sin. I just kind of want to come to church and feel good about Christmas, Pastor. How in the world can I be motivated to following God if it includes this? How do I find the strength to follow him when I have to do that? Well, Mary and Joseph found strength in three places. You ready? Number one, they remembered God's purposes. Verse 21 says, and he shall bring forth a son and thou shalt call his name Jesus. And here's the purpose for he shall save his people from their sins. I believe this is what motivated Joseph and Mary to make the sacrifices they had to make to stay together. The risk that that involved to obey the angel, of the Lord to uproot themselves and move to parent the son of God. They realized something, church. They realized they were raising the Savior of the world. Think about this. Joseph and Mary's life got turned upside down following God. All their plans of starting a life together went out the window when they said yes to God. But here's what they realized. The purpose of all of this was for Jesus to come to the world and save sinners. And they were privileged to be a part of that. And listen, through your pain, through your distress, through the difficulties that come into your life as a result of following the Lord, you too can take comfort in the fact that God has a purpose. He wants to use your circumstance and your situation to bring sinners to salvation through Jesus Christ. In fact, every time you face a difficulty, you ought to ask yourself this. How might God want to use this situation in my life to bring salvation to the lost? Joseph, how did you give up your carpentry business uh, where you were, your, your, your dreams, your, your plans, your ambitions? How, how did you make these sacrifices? It had to have been so scary. It had, you could have just culturally got out of the marriage and went on with your life and married another woman. How did you do this? He would have said, because the angel told me that, that the kid inside of, of, of my soon-to-be wife is the savior of the world. And I believed it. And I realized that no matter how hard of a decision I have to make following God, it was worth it. Because I'm going to be father and the savior of the world. 
Do you remember Paul and Silas? Do you remember that story where they were preaching the gospel and they got thrown into prison? You remember that? They didn't do anything wrong, just preaching the gospel's missionaries, got thrown into prison. Do you remember what they did once they got in there? They prayed and sang praises to God. They had a prayer meeting and a worship service. And the Roman soldier that was in charge of guarding that night heard the whole thing. He heard the whole thing. How do you sing praises and pray when you've just been beaten with rods and thrown into a prison? How do you do that? Because you realize there's a purpose in it. You realize there's an evangelistic purpose in it. You realize there are Roman guards right outside the other side of the the bars there that might hear your song. That might hear your prayer. You realize that God might want to use this situation to bring salvation to that guy right there. And, And what happened that night? An earthquake came. Busted the prison bars wide open. The prison guard, the Roman soldier in charge of guarding them knew that if the prisoners got out under his watch, they were going to kill him. It was a death sentence to a Roman soldier. So he was about to fall on his own sword. He was about to commit suicide. And Paul said, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. We're here. We're not going anywhere. And what did the Roman soldier ask? What do I got to do to be saved? Paul answered his question. The Roman soldier got saved. The Roman soldier's family got saved. They all got baptized and they died as members at the church of Philippi. Because two missionaries saw their suffering while following Jesus as a attached to the purpose of Jesus saving sinners. Following God's going to be tough sometimes, but you don't have to quit because you can think, how might God want to use this to save a sinner? Many of you know, my brother died a few years ago in, a, in an accident and, and, and it's hard to see any good from that. But many of you understand and know the story that. That at his funeral, the uh, Baptist preacher preached an awesome gospel message. And a woman by the name of Sally, after the funeral, got saved. As a result of that funeral, I got pictures of her on my phone of getting baptized with her children. Faithful in that church. Let me tell you, God has a purpose of saving sinners through the difficulties of his children. So don't ask yourself in difficulty. uh, Don't look for opportunities to get out of it. Look for opportunities in it. Joseph and Mary found strength in God's purposes. You know, number two, they found strength by relying on God's promises. Did you notice verse 22 and 23 is a prophecy fulfilled? Behold, a virgin shall be with child. Or look at verse 22. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, behold, a virgin shall be with child. What prophet is it talking about? What prophet prophesied this? Isaiah. 7 verse 14, you study it later. How old is that prophecy? They say around 700 years old by the time it gets to Matthew 1. Most Jewish people, including Joseph, were probably thinking, is this ever going to happen? Or is this some old preacher going on a rant? Fast forward 700 years and God is saying, this is what I was talking about all this time. A virgin girl who's never been with a man will conceive. And in that miraculous birth, I'm going to deliver Israel from all their fears and fulfill my promise to Abraham. It's happening. In that moment, Joseph saw that God was faithful to keep to the fullest every one of the promises he ever made. And I guarantee you it caused his faith in God to explode. What's the message of all that to us today? Well, if God kept a 700-year-old promise then, He'll keep His promises today, no matter how old they may be. 
Yet what I found is that many people struggle to follow God when it gets tough because they're not expecting God to just keep his promises. They're also expecting God to keep their preferences. They came to God with a list of expectations to be fulfilled in their life. And when those expectations aren't met, it's God's fault. Many even get to the point where they have really real doubts and, 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 and skepticism about God's love and goodness to them as a result of those unmixed expectations and preferences being fulfilled. It's like if you asked my son, Kevin, he's a sixth grader. You asked him to build a case that I'm good and loving to him based on the fact that I was always doing for him what he wanted me to do for him. He'd probably make a pretty weak case. You know why? Because I don't always do what he wants me to do. And you know why? Because at this stage in his life, I know what's best for him even more than he does most of the time. What's the point? Your trust in God should not be based on how well he has fulfilled your preferences, but on how faithful he's been to his promises. When you're going through difficulty while following Jesus, hear me, it's not God's fault. He doesn't love you less. He's not out to hurt you. He's out to grow you. You need to remind yourself of his promises, not your unmet expectations. The promise like in Matthew 5, God promised that those who endure persecution for following him will have a great reward in heaven. The promise in Matthew 6 that God said, I'll I'll, I'll provide for those who seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. God promised in Hebrews that he would never leave us nor forsake us. He promised us in Psalms 1 that those who meditate in his word day and night will be happy people. He he, he promised in Philippians and in Thessalonians that, that, that he will give peace to those Christians who pray without ceasing. God promised in Romans 8 that nothing can separate us from the love of God. He promised us in John 3 and other places of scripture that if you believe in him, repent of your sin, you will have eternal life. Where do you find strength to follow God even when it's inconvenient, even when it requires denying and dying to yourself? You find strength not in the fulfillment of your preferences, but in God's faithfulness to his promises. Notice one more. When following God gets difficult, you find strength by resting in God's presence. Verse 23, behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name. Say it out loud. No, you're in the wrong verse, y'all. It's Emmanuel. Okay, the answer is Emmanuel. Let's try that again. (laughs) Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name. Good job. What does that mean? God with us. Now, that always confused me. In fact, I told Kevin what I was preaching on the way home from a basketball game yesterday. And he said, hold on, Dad. What's Jesus' name? Is his last name Christ? Have you ever thought that? It it isn't. Christ denotes that he's God's chosen one, the Messiah. They really didn't even use last names back then. They had surnames. Um, Jesus was a lot of times designated by where he's from. Jesus of Nazareth. A lot of people were were attached by what they did for a living. Um, Things like that. A lot of people were attached to their dad's name. Simon, the son of. That's how they... Identified. Some people had a nickname, a middle name, I guess. I don't know. But I, I just got to thinking when he asked me that, what was it like for Jesus in middle school? Like when they came to him and said, hey, what's your name? Well, 
My first name's Jesus. My middle name's Christ. My friends call me Emmanuel. You can call me Lord. And I, got, I thought, well, that'd be great. I mean, that's not even touching the surface of all the names that Jesus has. He's everything. He's everything. You think of it, if it's good, that's what he is. So, so the first name Jesus that, that the angel tells them to call him, it means Jehovah saves or God saves. It denotes what, what he does. Emmanuel indicates who he was. God with us. You, you got to get this today. The whole point in God's creation of us was for him to have a relationship with us. Okay, in the Garden of, of Eden, God walked with Adam and Eve every night. Adam and Eve said, God walks with us. Fast forward a little bit. God led the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. How did he he lead them? How was he with them? By a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. The children of Israel confessed in Exodus 14, the Lord is before us and behind us. He's with us. Fast forward a little bit more. God had them build a tabernacle where his glory came to dwell. They said in Exodus 25, God is in the midst of us. Matthew 1, Jesus was born. The angel said, call him Emmanuel. God is with us. Fast forward, Jesus left. The Holy Spirit came on the first disciples and they said, God is in us. The point is that you weren't created to serve a distant God who watches over you from afar like a judge or a tyrant. You were created to have a father and a friend who walked with you through life. Do you know God that way today? As Emmanuel, God with you, God in you. See, the secret to Joseph and Mary doing what God told them to do was their understanding that God would do it with them. And the same is true for us. The only way we'll really follow Jesus, especially when it gets difficult, is when we understand and believe that no matter where following God leads us, He will always be there with us. In fact, to drive this point home even more, Matthew ends his gospel with Emmanuel. He begins it with Emmanuel, but he ends it with Emmanuel. Matthew 28, the great commission. He says, and Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And look how he ends it. And lo, I am with you always. Even unto the end of the world. Matthew begins and ends With Emmanuel, here's what that means, church. Just as God was with Joseph and Mary as they brought Jesus into the world, he will be with us as we take the message of Jesus throughout the world. Helping people find and follow Jesus, that's our mission. But it isn't always easy, is it? It's not always convenient. We may bear suffering, we may have to endure deep sacrifice. Maybe even shame along the way, but we can do it joyfully knowing that we do it with our Emmanuel. In my experience, that's really the only way that you'll be willing to endure the difficulty of following him. Hear me. When you realize the joy of knowing him and the joy of walking with him makes it all worth it. That's the only way. At the end of the day, you've got to believe that Jesus is worth it. 
For instance, if I told one of you ladies that over the next year, your waistline was going to increase six inches and you're going to gain 10 pounds, there's no way you'd be excited. Yet there are some of you who get news that that very thing's going to happen and you rejoice. Why? Because it means you're pregnant. You put up with your lost figure and the extra weight gladly because of the joy of what you have. The point is that every one of us has the capacity and even the willingness to sacrifice so long as we have the right perception of the reward. And the same is true for following God. To actually go all in. To be willing to endure the difficulty in doing so, you're going to have to first have a strong grasp on why Jesus is worth it. And let me tell you, friend, he is. I want to try that again. He is worth it. Why? Because he's worthy of it all. He is worth your worship day and night. Let worship arise. He's not just a Sunday God. He is worth your day and night worship. He's so good. He's so amazing. He's so fulfilling. Yes, it's hard to follow him in a fallen world. Aren't you thankful Jesus is at least up front about it? It's hard. But should you agree to die to yourself, pick up your cross, embrace inconvenience, repent of your sin, believe in Jesus. I'm telling you, on the other side of that difficulty is a life that is abundant and amazing. I'm telling you, die to yourself today. That's a tough message. Embrace inconvenience and say yes to God. Why? Because the blessings of following him far outweigh the burdens. We don't know much more about Joseph. It's the last time he appears in Matthew's gospel. By the time Jesus is an adult, he's no longer around. He most likely died. But he passed on to us a legacy for how to gain strength to follow Jesus when following Jesus is hard. We remember his purposes. We trust his promises and we rest in his presence. I wonder what would happen had Joseph not chosen this route. If he'd chosen the easy route, not believe the angel. Divorced Mary and cast her aside. Married a different girl. He might have got the storybook wedding. He might have had a little carpentry business. Stayed in his hometown. But he would have missed out on Jesus. And guess what happens if you choose the easy life today? You choose not to sacrifice. You choose your comfort over the inconvenience of following Jesus. You you choose to quit on the Lord every time he does something you don't like. Here's what happens. You miss out on Jesus and his plan. And I'm here to tell you, you don't want to miss out on Jesus. He's too good to miss out on. I want you to follow the Lord today. The first step of that journey is to believe the gospel. Everybody say the gospel. That means the good news. The good news starts with God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Why does it start there? Because God is your creator. That means God God is over you. God has authority over your life. God created you to have a relationship with him. But Adam and Eve, our first parents, they messed that up really bad. Why? When they sinned, when they refused to pick up their cross. 
and embrace inconvenience. They messed up. Because God is not just loving, but very holy and just, he will not ignore our sins. He will by no means clear the guilty. That's where Jesus comes in. (laughs) Because we have a sin debt too large for us to take care of ourselves. In fact, we can't even touch the hem of the garment when it comes to paying off our sin. And so God sent Jesus to die on a cross. First, he lived a perfect life. Well, let's fast forward. Let's let's rewind. He was born of a virgin. Which made him perfect. To start with. How's that the case? Because if, if he was born of Joseph's seed, he would have had Joseph's sin nature. He was born of a virgin because we needed a spotless lamb to be the sacrifice for our sins. Jesus was that spotless lamb. He lived a perfect life even though he was tempted in every way that you're tempted. He said no. Took up his cross, embraced inconvenience. Died on the cross for sins he didn't commit. Was buried for a crime he didn't commit. But rose again to solidify he was who he says he was. He's exalted now at the right hand of the throne of God, ready to make intercession for you. To to stand between you and God as your mediator, to make you right with God. What do you got to do? Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Repent means turn. Turn. Just turn your back on your sin. Pastor, does that mean I I can't sin ever again? No, no. I sinned this morning. I'm not going to tell you what it was, but I sinned. I messed up. I thought something about somebody that got on my nerves. I thought something about him. I I just thought it again. I sinned again. I sinned regularly, but you're going to struggle with it. You're going to battle with it. But when you turn from it, you don't become perfect until you get to heaven. But you begin this journey where you're fighting sin with the help of God in your life. So you say, no, I'm ready to turn my back on false idols. I'm ready to turn my back on my selfish living. I'm ready to turn my back on serving God on Sundays, but do my own thing Monday through Saturday. I'm turning my back on that. I'm getting all in. I'm picking up my cross. And then what do you do? You have faith to believe in Jesus. Faith means reliance. You put all your weight on Jesus. You lean totally on him. You say, I'm not, it's not Jesus and something that's going to get me to heaven. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. Not Jesus in baptism, not Jesus in my good works, not Jesus in my benevolence, not Jesus in my family. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. What he did on the cross and in the grave is enough to save me from every sin I have committed and will commit. You repent and believe. I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. And if some of you came and you're really far from God, But the idea of Christmas made you more sensitive to God again and you came back. I want to invite you to pick up your cross again. And to never let it down. Never set it down. If you have bought into a lie that the Christian life makes everything better for you. Then I hope your perspective has been reoriented today. Because it's not about God fulfilling your preferences. It's about his faithfulness to his promises written in his holy word. Trust those. If you're struggling with that today, come give it to God. If you've never repented and believed, come do that today. At the very least, take your connect card and write believe. Check that that box by believe. And let us show you sometime this week what that means. Would you stand to your feet, every head bowed and every eye closed?